All right. Uh, today's scripture reading is uh, in Acts 28, 1 through 10. Um, if you need a Bible, there's uh, a few around on the back of the chairs, and that's on page 527 in the church Bible. <clears throat> um, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The island showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to uh, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us his generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after pra prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cursed. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Alex. All right. Well, we're talking about snakes today, and I was really tempted to put like a big picture of a snake on the screen, but I was like, some of us might not respond well to that, and so I was just like, you know, you can use your imaginations, or you know, if you don't want to think about a snake, you don't have to, like visually anyways. All right, on that note, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this interesting snake story at the end of Acts. What an interesting, interesting story. Help us to understand it, the big story you're telling. In Jesus' name, amen. So Elijah really likes the jungle book. One of the characters in the jungle book is a snake. Ka, right? Ka. It's this big, long, winding snake who moves and slithers, and he has the hypnotic eyes, right, where he can, like, sort of sing to Mowgli and does the weird eye like thing, I don't know how to describe it, and sort of puts, puts Mowgli into a trance. But Mowgli escapes, doesn't get eaten by a snake, and that's a good, good thing. But uh, snakes are a part of popular culture, aren't they? So maybe you can think of different movies that feature snakes. Right? I, was, I thought of Indiana Jones, I thought of Harry Potter, I thought of um, Anaconda, snakes on a plane. I've not seen either of those, but they have the word snake. Any other popular culture movies that you can think of with snakes? Anyways, they're out there. People are interested in them. People either love snakes or hate them, it seems. They're into them. Well, today I want to tell you a great big snake story. Now, before, we've looked at different themes in the Bible. We've looked at like the theme of the donkey on Palm Sunday leading up to Easter. And I want to do something similar here. I want to look at the story of the serpent from Genesis to Revelation. You'll see how that connects to Acts chapter 28 as well. But the story of the snake starts all the way back in Genesis 3. So in Genesis 3, we have this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals 
the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? All right, so here we have the serpent, the serpent, the snake, really is sort of like Satan embodied, the deceiver sort of in the flesh taking on a form. And I don't think it's super important if it was a literal snake, but the idea is that it is a, a, it's sort of this picture of a snake, of a serpent. The scripture uses that animal for a specific reason. And we're going to get into that here. So Satan, who is Satan? He's the divine uh, enemy of God. He's, well, he's not divine, but he's like the, the supernatural being who's an enemy of God. He'd one time been an angel, but for unknown reasons, he rebelled against God and, and fell into sin, taking uh, some angels with him, forming Satan, the demons, right? And now he is trying to destroy the good creation that God made. He's trying to tempt Adam and Eve and all of humanity. And he's successful. Adam and Eve, what do they do? They eat from the tree of the garden uh, of the knowledge of, of good and evil, and all of humanity falls into a similar state as the serpent in rebellion against God. Now, the serpent's unredeemable, but Adam and even humanity are. And this is what God says to the serpent. He curses the serpent. Genesis 3, 13 through 15. Now, the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock... And all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Apparently, I just didn't include that last line of the slide here. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Right? So God curses the serpent two ways. Right? The first way is the serpent will crawl on his belly and eat dust for all of his life. Now, did snakes have legs before Genesis 3? I don't think so. I, I, I genuinely don't think that God somehow took across the legs. I think God's making a theological point here. That means a, a point about how, how God works and how uh, he's relating to Satan. I want us to focus on the word dust, which didn't make it. Uh, I think it's on the last one. Hey, you will eat dust, right? You will eat dust all the days of your life. Why would God say that? Why would God point that out? Because dust is symbolic. Dust is symbolic of death. Now, Adam was made out of dust, and to dust he would return. Right? So God is cursing the snake, the serpent, Satan, to eat death uh, forever. And here's the next part, and we find this actually in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. So this is about God's final victory over Satan, over the serpent, Right? There's going to be peace and harmony restored to creation. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. But the serpent will always eat dust. I, I don't know if that means there like won't be snakes in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't think that's the point it's making. I think the point that it is making is that Satan will eat death forever. That Satan will be destroyed 
have an endless destroying. But the second half of the curse in Genesis 3.15 promises this, that one of Eve's descendants will strike the serpent's head, even though the serpent will strike his heel. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now we know as Christians that that is fulfilled in who? In Jesus, right? He is wounded. Symbolically, his, his heel is struck at the cross. And yet what does he do to Satan? He defeats Satan. He defeats the, the powers of Satan, of, of the demonic at the cross. It's through his wounding that we are healed. But as we go through the story of the Bible, this snake appears over and over again. We go from Genesis, we go to Exodus, right? The story is an Exodus of Pharaoh and his serpents. Aaron throws down his staff, it becomes a serpent, it eats Pharaoh's magician's snakes. The snakes aren't necessarily always bad in Scripture, in Numbers, when the people have disobeyed God and are being cursed, they're being bitten by snakes, right? And how does Moses provide a pathway of salvation? He makes a bronze serpent. He puts it on a pole. The people just have to look at that serpent, and they are healed. I don't know if that means like we're supposed to look at the serpent in a positive way. Part of me thinks it foreshadows like Christ essentially crucifying, or not crucifying, but like destroying the serpent on the cross. And as we look at the the story of the serpent, uh, it continues to go through Scripture. Now, my son Elijah, he loves the story of David and Goliath. Most of you are probably thinking, David and Goliath is not a snake story. My goal by the end of today is to convince you it actually is a snake story. That Goliath himself is a serpent-like creature. That God's messianic anointed one, David, comes to defeat. The seed of Eve come to decapitate the serpent. So if you know the story of David and Goliath, right, the Philistines have come to one hill, the the Israelites have come to another hill, They're, they're not sort of in battle yet, they're kind of drawing their front lines, and they send out Goliath, their champion, to wage war with Uh, wage battle with one of Israel's champions, and of course no one wants to come defeat Goliath because he's this big, huge creature wearing bronze-scale armor. He's angry, like he's very intimidating. And so we uh, we see this story unravel and unfold. Now if you look closely at sort of the original languages and then also this story, The Hebrew word for bronze is similar to that for serpent. And in 1 Samuel 17, where we find this passage, it uses an unusual word to describe Goliath's armor. And that's the word scale. Goliath's scale armor. Can you think of anything else that has scales? Serpents. Reptiles. Snakes, right? Apparently birds do, too, on their their legs. I looked that up today. Right? So David becomes to this serpent-like bronze creature to wage war against him. And, And David is given the opportunity to fight like the serpent. Right? He is given a set of bronze armor like Saul, from Saul. So he can, he can fight like Saul, who's choosing to fight the serpent's way, or he can choose to fight God's way. God's way is much different 
than the way of might and power and strength and bronze armor. God's way is the way of vulnerability, putting his own life at risk as David went to fight Goliath unarmored, putting himself, exposing himself. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 46. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, whom you have defied. Wouldn't it have been great if Adam and Eve had responded to the serpent this way? If they had claimed the name of their God? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. <laughs> you guys hear some similarities? The serpent will strike the heel of the seed, but the seed of Eve will crush the serpent's head. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The, the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And then David takes his sword and cuts off Goliath's head. He takes Goliath's sword and cuts off his own head. It's so amazing. Like he uses Goliath's own like weapon of violence to destroy him. The descendant of Eve has fought the serpent-like creature and won. Why do you think he says he fell face down on the ground? Because Goliath is literally eating dust. Goliath is eating dust. So the story of David and Goliath is a serpent story that foreshadows the coming Messiah, the coming Jesus, the coming King, Yahweh, God in the flesh. Yahweh saves Yeshua. That's what Jesus means, who will enact the serpent's destruction, defeat at the cross. And so you and I are supposed to be challenged when we read that story. Will we stand with Goliath, the serpent, and his armor of bronze and might and violence and strength? Or will we stand with Jesus and be exposed and vulnerable and trusting in God? And man, this is so important today as we stand in the light of world events, right? Ukraine and Russia. How will we as the church respond? Will we raise the bronze weapon? Or will we claim the name of the Lord our God and get down on our knees and pray. There are two different ways to respond as the church. Now, one of the illustrations I remember uh, my old pastor, Pastor Dana at Emmanuel Church using was that of a giant headless serpent, right? Like when you cut off a chicken's head, it kind of runs around, right? This idea that Satan's head has been defeated, but his body whips to and fro, causing destruction, I think that is essentially where Satan is at right now. He has been defeated. He is headless, but he still whips back and forth in the anguish, uh, the, the, the anguish of death. And one day he will be destroyed completely. And that's when we come to the book of Acts. And you're like, I thought we were in Acts, Jonathan. Yes, we are in Acts. And I just find, like, you don't want to find theology under every rock, but I think it's fascinating, like in the, the, the book of Acts, this history, like Luke incorporates everything for a reason. And we come to this point in the story where, like, it's amazing, right? It's a miracle story, right? Paul's bitten by a snake that latches onto him, and then Paul snakes, shakes it into the fire. And to me, this, this foreshadows, like, what is going to happen at the end of days. That this is a little story meant to remind us at the end of Acts that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is defeating the serpent 
as the gospel spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And for the Christians, the early believers, to take hope that one day the serpent will be shaken into the fire forever. We find this in Revelation 12, verse 9, that Satan himself is identified as a serpent-like creature. Right? You guys ever read Revelation? It's a weird book. It talks about the great dragon. Right? The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Right? So this picture, Satan is being identified as a serpent or a snake or a dragon who is going to be defeated and has been defeated at the cross, but will be vanquished at the end of days. And we find that at the end of Revelation. Chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right? That's just like Paul <laughs> shaking the serpent into the fire. And if we were to, to listen carefully as Alex read the scripture passage, right? Right after this event, what does Paul do? He heals all of the infirmities on the island. Right? He takes this place. There's literally been a storm. A, uh, a near-death catastrophe, right? People come to the safe haven. Satan, or the serpent creature, is judged. And then God's messenger goes and heals and brings life and restoration. And that's the gospel. And that's the story that we're a part of. And that's the story that Christ is a part of and the story that Satan is a part of. But here's the beauty of those stories. Our story is wrapped into Christ, and one day the serpent's story will end. The serpent's story will not last forever. He will be vanquished. He will be cast in the fire. That will be the end of his story. So the question for each one of us today is, am I aligning myself with the serpent of bronze, or am I aligning myself with Jesus? Jesus came to defeat the serpent. And he has. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this great big snake story. And that that's not the, the big story. The story is of really the, the descendant of Eve defeating the serpent. Lord, thank you for your rich word and that you tell us all these amazing things. Help us to just understand and to, to, to align with Jesus, our Savior, with our Davidic-like figure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.